the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed are based on current economic and market conditions and are subject to change. All investing involves risk, including the potential for loss of principal. Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Proxy Freedom. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Proxy Freedom has no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Proxy Freedom, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. Welcome to Don't Invest and Forget, a weekly financial news magazine designed to educate and equip you with the roadmap and direction you need to manage your money, meet your financial goals, and instill confidence in your investment choices on the road to retirement. Your host is author, radio commentator, and investment advisor, Pat Fatucci of Proxy Freedom. With over 30 years' experience in the world of finance and investment planning, Pat specializes in personal and corporate investment management with special emphasis on retirement planning. Well, Pat, we hear from our listeners, and it's quite interesting, sort of the cornucopia of folks out there in the audience. Everything from folks already at retirement who tune in to receive insights and information about how to properly manage their retirement dollars, to folks that are just getting started, other people that perhaps are married in the middle of their working career and have never taken the time to really sit down and develop a financial plan. They're not yet really certain how they're going to make it at retirement. For those folks, maybe you can spend some time today, Pat, taking a look at how to develop a financial strategy or a financial plan. Well, we probably have the ingredients in our house somewhere, Craig. In the bottom kitchen drawer is one statement. In the top bedroom drawer in your sock drawer is another statement. (laughs) You've been going through my house again, haven't you? (laughs) Your stock certificates are between the mattress. You have a lockbox with a couple gold bars and grandma's ring and maybe a deed in the garage in that hidden place behind the uh, two by fours when my grandfather died my grandmother found a whole bunch of money in in the garage behind some two by fours my point is we've got things strewn about god forbid we die tomorrow our family would be in complete disarray but more importantly let's hope for a long lasting life and we want to put together kind of a roadmap a financial plan that documents all these various pieces. For all of our clients, we prepare a financial plan, which is an inventory of all of our assets, all our liabilities. Kind of an eye-opener, Craig. And many times when we prepare these, it's enlightening to the client. It's certainly all new to me when I see these, but they look as surprised as I do when I look at these numbers. It's like the first time they've ever looked at these numbers. It sounds like, Pat, one of the most important key first steps is to gather all this information information together, wherever you have it located or hidden or strewn about the house, related to not just where your assets might be, but your liabilities as well. How much money do you owe on the house? How much money is owed on the car payments? Really get that sense of what your assets are, what your liabilities are, as that all-important first step when they come in perhaps and sit down for a one-on-one meeting 
working toward developing a long-term financial plan. The other thing I have to mention is we have found many prospects who call us and come in for that no-cost, no-obligation consultation. The stock certificates, which are negotiable securities, are many times not put in lockboxes, just kind of tucked away somewhere. And if they're lost, that money is gone. And I have seen clients walk in with folded envelopes that contain some very valuable stock certificates worth hundreds of thousands of dollars just kind of casually tossed about in with your PG&E bills and your Blue Cross and Blue Shield bills. Oh, by the way, what is this, Pat? And they bring out a stock certificate worth a lot of money. And here we are with some very important elements that can direct and drive a financial plan one way or the other. So I want to caution listeners to be very careful You don't want to lose statements. There's not somebody that's going to call you tomorrow and say, hey, Craig, you know, they just don't make those calls. All right. So once we've gathered together all that important information of our assets and our liabilities, what's the next important step, Pat, when it comes toward developing a plan toward retirement? We really want to look at the assets and understand the risk levels, certainly. Do you have a lot of overlapping risk? Do you have too much in stocks or too much in bonds? Does it still fit your appetite for risk? Given your age today, well, what kind of risk levels should you take? And are they the right sectors of the market given where the economy is today? We talk about don't invest and forget. It really speaks to what sectors are your monies in today and are they participating in this wonderful market that we're having? And that includes, by the way, Craig, old 401ks, old IRAs at the bank, You have a Roth at the credit union. Assets kind of strewn about. So you want to gather your assets together and put together a net worth statement. So clearly assets are the first primary ingredient. And then you look at your liabilities. What kind of mortgage debt do you have? Do you have Visa MasterCard debt? Do you have a car loan? Do you have a boat loan? Do you have a motorcycle loan? And we want to look at what does that debt look like? So we look at your net worth statement, both assets and liabilities, and then build a roadmap to how to improve on either the asset growth or shrinking the liability side review of how to drive the debt number down and the asset number up. Now, many of us watched our parents and our grandparents successfully retire, perhaps on a pension or Social Security alone. But that in recent years has changed dramatically, and many baby boomers really need to consider what they're going to do in addition to their Social Security check in order to retire. And hopefully the answer, Craig, is not, I'm going to work until I'm 87 years old. We'd like to at least slow things down. Maybe our health will not even allow us to work beyond what used to be considered normal. I mean, this age of 65, you know, guess what? Our health is allowing us to work longer and we're getting value out of working, not just for money anymore. We frequently are in a position to work because we enjoy it. A lot of my clients enjoy working and don't necessarily need the money, but they enjoy the social experience and the value they're adding to people's lives. And so it really is a way to evaluate not only income management, but time management also comes into play, Craig. Time management, that often is a big barrier for many investors today. They simply don't have the time to sort of mind the store, so to speak, and so they take the autopilot approach. They maybe establish a 401k at work or set up an IRA, start setting money aside, they've bought a plan here or there, and then it's been years since they've gone back and revisited the performance of those plans. How dangerous is that? 
Well, it's dangerous, and guess what? It's very common. Sadly, people are very diligent and studious in saving money, but they may not be passionate or interested enough to redeploy the where those dollars are going. And so to redirect, to adjust that portfolio as often as we need to based on changing market conditions. Don't invest and forget simply says what was a good idea last quarter Maybe a terrible idea this quarter. Large company stocks sometimes are very favorable and sometimes small company stocks or bonds or mortgages or utilities or emerging markets is sometimes the preferred place to have our clients' monies. And so many times if you're an engineer, you're, if you're a doctor, you're a plumber, you're a teacher, you're very passionate about the work you do and you may not have any passion in readjusting your portfolio. It's not a question of being smart enough to, you just don't have the time or the energy or the passion to reflect on where the markets are going today. And that's where we want to grow the money in good markets and preserve it in declining markets. And that really is critically important because as you point out, Pat, so often folks just simply don't have the time or perhaps, Pat, don't have a sense of confidence in the decisions that they might make related to the purchase of stocks and bonds and their appetite for risk and what exactly is a good balanced portfolio for them. And then to sit there and to invest the time weekly, monthly, managing the performance of that portfolio. Craig, I think you hit it right on the head. It's really the confidence. It's not a question of intelligence. It's the confidence that they have today to make those reallocations. And and we end up procrastinating. And meanwhile, Market sectors come and market sectors go in terms of how favorable they are today. And sadly, we get a lot of listeners come in and they come in. It's like confession. I have to admit, Pat, I invested and forgot. I wanted to do it, but, you know, I was tired at nine o'clock at night when I finally sat down to watch a half an hour of the news. And you're not going to sit there and figure out, okay, should I move my money from large caps to small caps or to bond funds? You got to do it with a fresh mind. And first thing in the morning, you're off running to work or weekends, you've got a lot of activities going on. So it tends to be the last thing you do or you don't do it at all. Now, if folks would like to schedule one of those financial life checkups, what does it cost for that? Greg, there's a whopping cost of $0. It's a public service. We are an educational radio show. We like to bring good ideas to our listeners. And guess what? In most cases, after we do that free financial checkup, we can many times find ways and improve performance, improve it from so many angles, because in many cases, either we've provided some value to that listener, we are confident that many of those listeners who come in will see some value in our services. Welcome back to Don't Invest and Forget. Our special guest, Brian Bravo. Brian is a partner at Proxy Financial. He focuses on life insurance, all kinds of products that not only protect a business owner or a family person, but also to add some savings opportunities. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pat. Thank you for having me on. So you're a partner on the proxy financial team. You work in a variety of ways, but you really are specialists in what the IRS calls Section 162, the Executive Bonus Plan. Talk to our listeners about how that can be so instrumental in creating wealth for that business owner in the long run. We do specialize in executive bonus plans under the Section 162 Internal Revenue Code. And um, it's just unique the way we position these plans because we position them according to corporations' tax strategy, right, for that business owner. 
I'll share a little bit, but make sure to always consult your tax expert. When a company, of course, they're showing that they are very profitable, that is going to increase the tax obligation, and that's a good problem to have. Essentially, it means the company is profitable. Owners, however, are always looking for ways to put more of that money in their pocket and pay less than Uncle Sam. I think the correct way to say it is you want to pay the least legal amount in taxes. And traditionally, what the tax professional will suggest to that business owner is that, hey, there's different ways to burn profit here. And usually that means purchasing new equipment, new vehicles for the company. That's great, but many view those expenses as liabilities still because it's taking money out of your pocket and it's not going to be able to be used for the depreciation until the following year. An executive bonus plan, however, does the opposite. It's an asset, so it will put money back into your pocket. Maybe not now, but definitely sometime in the future. And the flexibility of how much you can contribute is another key feature. And you can use the total monies contributed as a tax-deductible expense for that year. So, Brian, we all want to pay our fair share of taxes. That makes absolute sense. But we don't want to pay our unfair share. We don't want to volunteer to pay more than we, we need to. And of course... We always want to confer with the CPA. We are not tax professionals. That's why we always highly recommend a tax professional be part of this equation to derive the best possible combination of utilizing the assets while concurrently building some net worth and using it as a tax deduction. I mean, it's kind of a win-win for the business owner, isn't it, Brian? You are correct, Pat. You are correct. Tax professionals do what they do. They're exceptional, right, at really dissecting um, that person's book and then letting them know what their tax liabilities are. However, they may not be insurance professionals. That's where we come in. We kind of explain this side of the Internal Revenue Code in terms of insurance and how they can utilize an executive bonus to meet their needs. And at the same time, it would be an asset. And so the underlying product can be a whole variety of life insurances, whether it's cash value or other products to support this executive bonus plan, correct? That's correct also, because yes, primarily we use indexed universal life insurance. You can use a whole life for this, right? And there are um, other regulatory standards that uh, you have to abide by. But primarily, IULs are the vehicle for these Section 162 plans. So IUL, indexed universal life. And, of course, you want to look at what are the expenses, what are the expected performances. You typically get an illustration of what it would look like over the 5, 10, 15, 20-year period. And that's how you analyze and communicate with that business owner of what the expectations should look like, correct? Yes, that is right, Pat. You do get an illustration. Of course, those are projected numbers. But what we've seen with some of our clients who have been in these um, programs for over 10 years, right, in these policies for over 10 years, they've been able to take advantage and, like, the um, take advantage, especially during, like, those economic downturns. So that is correct. You do run illustrations for the client and see if it would be beneficial for them and if it was suitable. Brian, talk to our audience. What's a classic profile of a business owner? Is it a mom and pop with a couple employees? Is it 50 employee company? Is it 
a hundred employees? Is there a profile that really fits these plans really well? So ideally, for the owner to take advantage of a Section 162 executive bonus plan, they would have to be a C corporation. But that doesn't mean an LLC or an S corp wouldn't be able to utilize this program. For the owner of an S-Corp or an LLC, because it is a pass-through to take advantage of a Section 162 plan, they would have to use it for some of their employees, someone that they do not file taxes with, right? But however, because a C-Corp has, like, people fear the double taxation, well, there are plans in place and strategies in place to show them how to take advantage of a Section 162 for themselves as the owner. So ideally, yes. C-Corps, it would benefit the owner and all the other employees that they wanted to offer it to. But at the same time, S-Corps and LLCs, it wouldn't be beneficial for the owner, but probably most beneficial for some key employees that you really wanted to bonus. I guess the silver lining of this executive bonus plan is that you can use it as a recruiting tool because you're going to get perhaps higher quality uh, hires. Or and or use it as a retention tool. You really want to keep those key employees who are contributing nicely to your company. And so it serves as a, kind of a golden handcuffs, doesn't it? You took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, I was going to say we've seen these many times used as golden handcuffs. And the thing is, it's beneficial on both sides, the business owner and the executive receiving the bonus, you know, because it's a policy that they can take with them if they ever decided to um, part ways, you know, but at the same time, the owner of the, uh, of the company would be the owner of that, of the payor of that policy. So, you know, it's really beneficial both ways. If you want to do right by your executives, by the key person and, and to the owner, um, all those involved really benefit from it. I'd like to remind our listeners, we are not tax professionals. We highly recommend you talk to your CPA or your enrolled agent or your accountant to understand if these plans are suitable for your particular situation. Brian Barbara, Brian is a partner with Coxie Financial, and he specializes in executive bonus plans. If any of our listeners have any questions, if there's any applicability and suitable for your company, give our offices a call at one 888 Plan Wise. That's 1 888 Plan Wise. Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely, Pat. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. You all have a great day. My very special guest today is Marilyn Motes Kennedy. Marilyn is the founder and managing partner of Motes Kennedy Inc. She's been in the business for 31 years. She's made more than 100 presentations on a variety of topics that principally involve what is going on in the evolving workplace. Of particular interest today are diversity issues such as cross-generational motivation, management, communication, and recruitment. Marilyn, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Marilyn, I heard you speak some months ago, and I was intrigued by some of the underlying trends that you see evolving out there. Talk to our listeners about some of those fundamental issues that you think are so critically important. Well, the first is the aging of the workforce. There are three times as many workers ages 55 to 70 as there are 18 to 24. So unless companies can keep their workers 55 to 65 working three years 
longer than they want to work. They're not going to have workers. We're facing a huge worker shortage as the group we call the boomers who were born between 46 and 59, and they are the largest age cohort in the population. As they face retirement, it's going to be brutal. What happens when uh, the 65-year-old wakes up and says, you know, I don't have enough money to retire on. I have to work until 70. Do you see a fair amount of that kind of trends? Oh, I don't think the boomers will retire at 65. They really can't. It would be 66. I think they will not fully retire until sometime between 72 and 75. But the point is, not retiring does not mean they're going to continue to work for their current employers. What we're seeing, every university in the country is running a program called Second Acts. And what it's about is helping people 55 to 65 pick their next career. And typically, it's something they've dreamt about while they were sitting behind that desk or doing whatever they were doing for the last 40 years. They've dreamt about doing something else, and this is now the opportunity to engage. I'm not sure they even dreamt it then. I think they are seeking renewal as they age because retirement, when the Depression generation did it, they retired at 65, they sat down, and they died five years later. And boomers see work as a way to put off the Grim Reaper. So it's not just for financial gain. It's really no. they're, they're adding value to either themselves or to somebody else. And that's the reward for continuing working. Yes, but I think primarily it is financial. Only 4% of boomers who are right now age 60 have saved enough so that at 66 they could retire comfortably. 20% have saved nothing at all. So it's largely about money then in your it's from the about numbers. money and the idea that they are going to do something else because they've always been a restless group and they're thinking right now, this is not all there is for me. I have not reached my Peggy Lee phase. I'm not saying is that all there is because I know there is something else out there for me. And so they're going to be looking for it. Marilyn, is it different for men versus women or, or is this gender neutral? If both men and women have been working, it's gender neutral. If he retires and she has been a stay-at-home, she's definitely going to get a job for better or worse, but not for lunch. And she will be out doing something because having her husband home all day is going to drive her nuts. So what we're seeing is women whose husbands take early retirement, which is between 59 and 62. Either they get divorced because she just can't stand it, or she goes out and does another career. It's funny you mention that. Honestly, the last 20 people I've interviewed in my office, folks who come in for our no-obligation consultation, I'll bet half of them, Marilyn, are going through some kind of divorce. And they're all that 55 to 60, 60 two years of age after 30 plus years of marriage. What is going on here? It's like this epidemic of disgust with each other all of a sudden. They can't stand to be in the same room 24-7 or even in the same house or apartment. Is this a, a chemical change? Is this an attitude change? Is this a wakening up of, uh, oh my God, we're empty nesters. There's no kids around. Let's go our separate ways. I think they have different goals. I think he wants to do nothing and she's saying, it's my time now. And that can really put a wedge between them. And the more financially secure they are, the more likely they are to get divorced. And the converse is true, I suspect. There's more dependence on each other if there's not enough money there? Right. See, the real issue of our time is not financial. It's if you can father a child at 85, if you can give birth to a child at 60, when will you be old? The yep. other big thing in the financial industry that I just heard recently from one of my clients is children under the age of 12, 24% have fathers age 55 or older, 
and it is the father's first family. If you add second families, you have 34% of males age 55 have children under the age of 12. Well, they're not going anywhere. You've got to work. These are boomer people we're talking about. Is there a difference in the, I think it's called the echo boom, the, the boomlets, uh, the kids of the boomers? They're not getting to be 20, 25, 30 years old as well. Well, the big difference there is they marry later. Average age of first marriage in the U.S. right now is 30 years, four months for men, 29 years, three months for women. If you don't marry until your early 30s, which is how that really works out, you spend your 20s doing anything you want, living at home with your parents, experimenting with different jobs, graduate school. So since they marry later, their divorce rate is going to be lower. We figure about 30% as opposed to 50%. Because if you marry for the first time at 30, have children in your late 30s, your chances of four spouses are statistically non-existent. You won't live that long. So the whole idea of marriage, because it's been postponed, I think when I was young, it was something like age 23 or 24 was the average age to get married back in the 70s. And when I got married in the 60s, it was 21. But we don't know how much longer it can go and how much later you can marry and still have children. Do boomers and or their kids have a lot of fundamental different ideas about money and how they approach the whole economic of their respective lives? The younger groups save at four times the rate as a percentage of income as the boomers. They have finally bought the message from the financial industry, which is to pay yourself first, and they do. And they're into 401ks and their own parallel retirement plan. But they're not day traders on the web the way you see you know, the boomers doing. They tend to be fiscally conservative and socially liberal. We're talking with Marilyn Motes Kennedy. She's the founder and managing partner of Motes Kennedy, Inc., 31-year-old management consultant firm. She's been uh, speaking before more than 100 groups, really looking at some of the trends of the evolving workplace. What other big issues as employers should be on the minds of folks wanting to continue to employ effective and smart people in their firms? They need to understand that young people are not going to stay with them forever. There is no forever after. People under 30 will have at least seven careers in their lifetimes. We did a survey a few years ago of first-year medical students, law students, dental students, and veterinary medicine. 30% of first-year medical students said they know right now they will not retire as physicians. 27% of law students, 12% of dental medicine. But what we found interesting was when we said why, they said, well, you need a place to stand. And once I get my debts paid off, my school debts, I'm going to do what I really want to do. And that was their view. The other thing is nobody cares about office politics anymore. They don't care about it. That used to be a big thing in government. Young people would get a job with the government and then they would run into politics. They don't run into that now because they're oblivious. My special guest is Marilyn Motes Kennedy. She's the founder and managing partner of Motes Kennedy, Inc. It's a 31-year-old management consulting firm. Marilyn has made more than 100 presentations a year on a variety of topics that principally talk about the evolving workplace. What is going on with the demographics of employees of American firms today? Marilyn has kind of specialized in that. We're really talking about the attitude of the boomers. I mean, that's one of the topics we're talking about. What are some of the other issues that are on boomers' minds through your research? Well, the big thing with boomers is that they are not going gracefully into the night. They watch their parents retire, die five years later, doesn't appeal to them. They're not going to buy the kinds of products and services that their parents bought. What we found is most boomers aren't interested in long-term care insurance because they think they don't need it. They want to invest for growth because they figure the only way they will not outlive their assets is if they keep growing the money pile and, of course, working longer. So nursing homes are going to be for somebody else, not for them. They're never going to nursing homes. They're never going to Florida or Arizona because, of course, those are the vestibules of death. 
the most important thing for boomers is they would be surrounded with old people. We're looking at a trend now, it's just starting, in which people will retire to the university they went to, live on campus. It is the perfect boomer scheme. Here is this boomer couple. They go back and live in Ann Arbor or they live in College Station, Texas. They're surrounded by 35,000 people between the ages of 18 and 30. They can get a discount on football tickets. Of course, we'll have to hoist them up into the stadium. But they will look everywhere and see young people. And the trend for them is you will never be old if you're surrounded by young people. Think about it. Universities are not for profit. They can build senior housing on the campus. They can offer these people the chance to study anything they choose to study, which will also help keep them young and they believe will send off Alzheimer's. And they can make more money from senior housing than they do from undergraduate housing. What's not to like in this scheme? Long-term care is something they have no interest in. It's not going to affect them at all. No. By the time they really need it, that is, have Alzheimer's or terrible physical stuff, they won't care where they are certainly not the Alzheimer's crowd, and they can go to a traditional nursing home then. But what's going to happen is they will not get there until they are too sick for it to make any difference. So they will have like months or maybe a year or so. And what they're interested in is maxing out every day prior to the day that they are at death's door. And that means surrounding yourself with young people, doing fun things, and what place was more fun for them than the university. And this isn't just universities, colleges. Think about this as a bonanza for the state university. Here it's got a shrinking market because we are fewer young people. Now it has an additional market that will keep it going into the unforeseeable future. Universities will offer the classes free to their senior citizens. Only a few will take them, but it will be seen as a perk. What they'll really do is be living on a campus, going to the local bars and all that sort of stuff and thinking that they're having a good time. And they won't see other old people. If you're in a a retirement community, you're looking at people at least as old and probably older than you. That's depressing. You mentioned we even talk differently. Talk to our listeners about some of the terms that maybe the boomers use and the younger workers are expressing themselves a little bit differently now. Well, the boomers are always speaking euphemistically. When a boomer says to a buster, would you mind doing X or Y? The buster hears a question. What the boomer meant was, this is an order, but nicely put. What the buster answers is the question. Yes, I would mind. And here are the seven reasons I have no intention of doing it. This leaves the boomer confused because they've always preferred euphemism. They've always preferred to speak by indirection. Busters are subject, verb, object speakers. We tell the younger ones, never, whatever, anybody, because the boomers hate that. And the busters will say, okay, whatever. Uh That makes the boomers furious because it's a statement of non-commitment. Did us older folks, we want a recognition and the younger folks may not need that as much? It's not just recognition. The boomers, because they were from a very crowded generation, wanted acknowledged. Busters and nutsters understand if they just breathe, it's all going to come to them. It's called the power of mass. That's the boomers versus the power of scarcity. That's the younger group. And what's really happening is younger ones are on the road to self-employment. So they're actually just dropping by and they're going to work there for a while and they'll give you a good day's work. But what the boomers want is emotional commitment and they're never going to get that. The only emotional commitment these people will make is to a business of their own. Otherwise, you pay them, they work. That's it. 
And the boomers have always been love or love. I love this. I hate that. Love the restaurant, hate the chef, that kind of stuff. The busters and upsters, yet people under 30 think you are putting way too much effort into something that doesn't matter. Why do you have to love and loathe? Why can't you just let it go? So there, one of the things they resonate with very strongly is the Beatles and the sort of laid back way of thinking that is in many of their songs. But wait a minute, I thought we were like the laid back generation that kind of took life easy and the whole drug Only scene. Only for a couple of years during the Vietnam War and then they exploded and their true competitive nature as boomers came forth. The Vietnam War was an interlude. The boomers were always competitive from the cradle. Their parents wanted them to be competitive. They wanted them to do better than they had done. The Vietnam War was a time in which they tried to solve that problem, but the minute it was over, they were back to competition, rising in corporations, you know, that sort of thing. They were all about big companies, whereas today's generation doesn't see that as a useful goal at all. They don't want to work for big Fortune 50 companies. Are these young ones prepared to start their own firms? Are they... Yeah. Uh... They are. Two of every five people under 35 will be self-employed in their lifetime. People under 25 tell us three of every five will be self-employed within five years of finishing their education, regardless of level. That's the big difference. It's a very confident group coming up then. Yeah, they're certainly confident that they can run a business. But remember, they're not going, they don't want to build General Electric. They're talking about a business that will support them and their lifestyle. So their vision is not as big as perhaps the boomer kids were? Oh, not nearly as big as the boomers. They live in smaller spaces. They have fewer children. They have working spouses. They don't need as much money. A whole different mindset. Very. My special guest today, Marilyn Motes-Kennedy. Marilyn is the founder and managing partner of Motes-Kennedy, Inc. Really looking at the evolving workplace and the demographics that affect attitude and expectations. If there's any questions for Marilyn or myself, call our toll-free number, one 888 Plan wise, that's one eight 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 P L A N W I S E, or go to our website, don't invest and forget.com. That's don't invest and forget.com. Give us a call on our toll free number one triple eight plan wise. That's one eight 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 P L A N W I S E. Marilyn, this is very enlightening. I'm taking some uh, copious notes on how to better interact with some of my staff folks who are in this age group. I hope I can successfully get a better level of communication with them. So you've added a lot of lot of ideas. Appreciate your time today. It was a pleasure. listening to Don't Invest and Forget with author and investment advisor Pat Fatucci. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program or to schedule your appointment for a no-obligation financial plan tune-up in one of the Bay Area's offices of Proxy Freedom near you, go to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. Or call 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Or visit don'tinvestandforget.com. You've been listening to Don't Invest and Forget with author and investment advisor Pat Fatucci. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program or to schedule your appointment for a no-obligation financial plan tune-up in one of the Bay Area offices of Proxy Freedom near you, go to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. Or call 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Or visit don'tinvestandforget.com.
The views and opinions expressed are based on current economic and market conditions and are subject to change. All investing involves risk, including the potential for loss of principal. Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Proxy Freedom. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Proxy Freedom has no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Proxy Freedom, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.